0: Uh, welcome to those who are watching online. Thank you for taking some time to do that. I don't know if you in the building know you're part of the live studio audience, but uh, you are and uh, we've heard you and it's, it's, it's great. So i um, grateful to spend some time together here. Definitely better uh, with you here for sure. hundred percent, maybe a thousand percent. It is so much better with people. Uh, people gather together. That is what family is all about. So um, for those who don't know me, my name is Mark. If you weren't here last week, um, last week was part nine of a series. Doesn't matter if you missed all of you know, the previous ones, uh, you can go back and find them online. But last week we talked about the topic of identity and we are kind of doing part two of that uh, tonight. And so last week, real quick, we just realized that humanity was made in the image of God. That, that there's only one thing that God put his image on, Said this is, this is made uh, in, in my own image, and that, that's us. And we were designed, we talked about identity, designed to find our inner identity from an external voice. Uh, it, it, we were designed that way, that his voice would be the one that speaks to us and says, this is who you are. But what happened when man in the garden fell with sin is that another voice entered the scene. And so we said last week, this question we asked, um, when, when man had fallen and hid from God, God's question to them was, who told you that? Who said this is who you are? Who said you need to have shame? Who said you need to hide? Who said that? Because it wasn't me. And so we uh, ask that same question. Are there voices in our own lives that we're listening to other than his that we, we say we probably need to ask that same question? Hey, who told me? Who told me that I have to live in fear? Who, who told me that I'm no good? Who told, me, who told me any of these things? Who told me that God doesn't love me? Who told me that I'm unlovable? Any of these things, the question is, who told you that? And so tonight we're going to actually take a, uh, another look at this uh, topic. Uh, it's kind of like a circular thing. So uh, you could have had last week; um, we could have swapped the weeks, and they would still work. But uh, we're gonna—I'm actually going to tag team preach today. I am not going to be sharing the whole message. Um, about a year ago. Before I introduce our guest speaker, about, uh, about a year ago, Becky uh, Higgins, uh, she doesn't have to wave. You're going to see who she is in a second. She came and she asked me, she's like, could we use the building? I know there's only groups of 10 allowed, but could we use the building so I could have a Bible study with some youth? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, that would be, that would be great. Uh, and just her passion for her kids, her love for the Lord uh, started things off, and uh, young people hungry for the things of the Lord, finding a place where they could connect with one another and with Christ, Uh, that youth group grew to 30-plus kids, and then uh, she started a junior youth group, which is also now 30-plus kids. So Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, it is crazy here. I'm so thankful to her and her team for investing in my kids' lives and in your kids' lives, Uh, and I love that she's making disciples of the next generation, and so a couple Weeks ago, um, just actually a couple weeks before that, she kind of talked me into going to youth camp with them, Uh, and so (laughs) I was like, "You can take Beth," and she's like, "No, we need Beth, we need you as well." And so I'm like, "Oh, I'm too old for youth camp." But I'm so glad I went. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and Becky started off the whole uh, weekend with her, t- uh, her talk on this topic of identity. And to be honest, as I sat there, it gripped me to the point where I was like, you know what, this is not just for the youth. This was for me, and I believe we need it for our church as well. And so uh, if uh, I've asked her to come and share some of those thoughts with us uh, tonight, so would you please give a warm welcome to Becky Higgins? <laughs> Warmer and longer. She isn't here yet.
1: Hello, I am Becky Higgins. For some of you that uh, haven't maybe met me formally, and uh, yeah, I am blessed and I feel it a privilege to be able to be a part of uh, the youth and their lives. Like literally, we have such awesome kids here, and I've loved just being able Amen. to uh, spend time with them and watch them grow and challenge them, and they challenge me. So it's it's been an awesome experience uh, working with the youth here, and I absolutely love all of them and. As most of you know, my house is open to them at any time, and uh, it's been an it's been awesome experience. So, yeah, we did get to do a youth retreat a couple weekends ago, and I was really glad to have Mark and Beth join with a few others from here. It was an awesome weekend, and it was challenging for not just the youth, it was for the leaders and for everybody that went. It was a real great time to just evaluate ourselves and to you know, remember where our focus needs to be. So, I'm going to spin off a little bit from where Mark um, left off last week, and then a little bit in what I shared at the youth retreat the week before, or a couple weeks ago, actually. So, hold on, my paper's kind of funny, so I'll get it going. And I normally speak in, like, a rowdy bunch of youth, so this is, you guys being all really (laughs) quiet is making me a little nervous, so. (laughs) (laughs) Get rowdy, get rowdy. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. So last week's message, Mark talked about our identity and how it's shaped. Well, how the external influence affects our eternal beliefs about ourselves. And even in the very beginning, God's been asking us this question. All right? So he's asking us this question, who told you that? And the example here was given um, after Adam and Eve fell for the serpent's deceit and ate from the tree. So God went looking for them, and when God called for them, and they were hiding because they were naked and they felt ashamed which is what sin does to us, right? Um, it separates us from God. And right away, he knew that they had listened to another voice because he never told them that. He never intended us for us to even know what shame felt like. And now, looking from the outside in, we can see why that matters, why it matters what voice we listen to, why the source from which it comes from matters. And where did those words that have shaped and manipulated our beliefs about ourselves, about our lives, our worldview, from where those words come from truly matter. So um, would you take, okay, for instance, would you take someone that is known to be a liar and a thief at his word? Would you derive your whole, world, your whole worldview from it? Or would you rather someone that you know to be of goodwill and cared for you so we can understand here why it's important, before we believe what we hear and allow it to shape our thinking and our beliefs, that it's important um, that we need to know its source and who told you that. So I look to the Bible for a good example of this, of believers and how they responded when God called them or when they rose to an occasion, and what did they believe about themselves? And better yet, what did they believe about God? Because I was curious about we have adop- how we have adopted our way of thinking. Why do we look to find our identity where we do? Because in this day and age, we are surrounded right now by a million self-help books, podcasts on how to be the best you, and you are enough slogans on every social media platform. Those smart-sounding opinions telling you who you really are and unlocking your full potential. Direction on how on how um, to know what your true identity, identity is, how to manifest out your best life, the freedom to identify with just about whatever we fancy. With all this so-called freedoms and wisdoms at our fingertips, our society couldn't be more confused, an alarming growth rate of mental illness, depression off the charts, uncertainty and feeling loss. So why do you think in this day and age of a multi-million dollar industry that is booming with motivational speakers and life coaches that we still have a society that is so lost and anxiously searching and more confused even about the obvious things than ever? You want to know why? It's a simple answer. Because we have become lovers of ourselves. And we've always been lovers of ourselves. We have become a society that is so self-focused And that is not how God designed us to be. There's a reason why we feel so self-conscious and unsatisfied, so inadequate and more confused than ever. We're asking all the wrong questions. And it's not supposed to be about how do I be the best version of me or who am I really. Although those questions are valid, the two questions here we should be asking is, for one, who told you that? So we're evaluating the source from which we're looking for our answers. And number two, instead of asking who am I, The question we should be asking is, who is he? Not only who is he, but who is he to me? You see, some of us can even rattle off a lengthy list of who God says I am. We know the popular verses that tell us we are precious to him, that we are his child, etc. But there is a catch. What he is to you will determine whether or not what he says about you has any life-changing effects, any nature-altering abilities. You see, when I looked up the famous story of David and Goliath and David's response to the Israelite soldiers when faced with this monster of a man, Goliath, I didn't see a man pumping himself up his ego, telling himself, you got this. He wasn't looking into the mirror and repeating some positive affirmations, manifesting the takedown of this giant, telling himself, oh, you were born for this. David wasn't popping in some earbuds and listening to some guy that seems that he has it all together, telling him to dig deep. You know how this story starts out? While he was bringing up some goods for his brothers that were stationed at the battlefield, he asked about this giant. He asked if there was a reward and... Who was this Philistine that had been allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And so looking in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty-eight, the first response he gets is from his brother. I don't know if it's up here. Okay, yeah. Isn't that fun? All right. (laughs) But when David's oldest brother, Elab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? And I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Right? So that's his brother's first response. All right. So, but he didn't allow his brother what he said to discourage him or define him. Then he meets with King Saul. So here we have his brother. Okay, so King Saul's in verse, do we have that one? 32. So he says, don't worry about this still sign, David told to Saul. I'll go fight him. And then he carries on to the next verse. And we see Saul here. Is that it here? But David protested but yeah. Hold on. All right. So, but David persisted. I have been taking care. Oh, we need to go back to what Saul said. Hold on. What did Saul say to him? So, he, so David says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I will go fight him. And so Saul's response in verse 33 was, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. So here we have his brothers telling him he is just a proud little boy who gets excited over a battle. And we also have his king telling him he's ridiculous and he's just a boy. They're bluntly pointing out his limitations and reminding him of who he is and who Goliath the enemy is. So here we have a classic case of who told you that, David. So you have no faith coming from your brother or your king. And luckily for the Israelites, David's source isn't in his brother. King Saul. So as we read on in verse 34, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it and I club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animals turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both the lions and bears and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So here we see his response. And as impressive as David on his own sounds, he didn't end that there. He didn't take the credit because he knew that that would be misleading. David knew he wasn't enough. And he knew, just as Saul said, that he was just a boy. He knew within himself he was not able. And that is why he gives all credit to the living God. He ended his his heroic story with stating that the Lord rescued me from the lions and the bears, and he will rescue me from the Philistine. And that is why why he could come boldly to King Saul, why he can be so confident, not because of who he was, but because he knew who his source was. He didn't look within himself, his faith wasn't within him and his abilities, his thinking, but it was found in the creator, his living God and what he said about him. This Philistine defied the army of the living God, and he knew that the Lord would rescue him just like he did from the mouths of lions and bears. So we even see on the battlefield, if we were to carry on, Goliath was even reminding him who he was. Goliath mocked him, he laughed at him, and said, who's this ruddy faced boy? And he was insulted, sneering at David. He was like, am I a dog that you would send this boy out with a stick? Time and time again through this story, we see how who told you that matters. What if David listened to his brothers? What if he listened to King Saul or believed how pathetic Goliath saw him? David knew enough not to rely within himself, not to put his trust in his abilities, and not to rely on his unreliable sources in believing who he was. His identity was not found within himself or the opinions of others. So what about us? Are we like David? Is this how we determine our worth and our abilities and our identity? So, like Mark was saying earlier, I am who he says I am is a phrase we used at the youth retreat a couple of weekends ago. And we figured this would be an easy topic, thanks to social media and the self love movement being all the craze right now. Our generation, thanks to social media, has been made the center, has made us the center of our lives. So, you can literally follow everyone's play by play daily events by snaps, maps, and stories. We have somehow adopted this idea that our lives should be in showcase and that requires a lot of our attention on ourselves. Look at me from selfies to stories to filters to followers, from likes to opinions and stances on just about everything. Everyone's an expert, everyone needs a platform. If we're not posting pictures of our exciting lives, we may be perceived as friendless, lonely, broke, not intelligent, not caring. Not caring, or not even caring enough, or just simply irrelevant. We are in this day and age where we used to be able to go and take pictures of beautiful sceneries and beautiful things, and it used to just be like, oh, this beautiful picture, but no, no more. Now, Nowadays, we have to be like, well, that's a beautiful scene, but like, how do I get myself in this picture? It's no longer about the object, it's no longer about the beauty, it's, it's about, well, I, I need to be. So right away, our focus has come off of something beautiful to like ourselves, and how can we be in this photo? So with this age of influencers trying to keep up with this ever-changing popular opinion, what's now socially acceptable, politically correct, cancel them, unfollow those, make sure your bio includes this, and change your profile to show support of that, we are all looking to these sources to tell us how to feel, what to believe, how we should dress, who we should support, what is good, what is evil, and who told you that. So again, two questions that we need to be asking here. One, who told you that? And two, who is God to you? We talked about one, why that's important to know the source. So let's look at number two, the source. Because if we have not established God as our Lord in our lives, the one sitting on the throne of our life, what he says about us will not have a transforming effect on our lives. You see, what he says about you truly matters when you decide who he is to you. The key here is in order to know who you are, you need to know who he is and what he is to you. So the more we are looking at ourselves or to our culture, the more disappointed and confused we're going to be on this. So who is God to you? So is he a good teacher, is he a moral compass, a creator, someone you pray to at dinner, listen to Mark talk about on Sundays, send up a prayer when something really bad happens or something really good happens, take his opinion into consideration from time to time, or is it the name you call on when all else has failed? Is he your friend, a father figure, a leader, a savior? You see, if he isn't on the throne of our lives, what he says about us won't change our life. What he says about the nature of a believer It won't be found in our nature. And this doesn't just affect our personalities, our worldview, but it also affects walking out the plans that he has for us. Because all of us here are designed with purpose and with intent. We're all handcrafted. We're all knit together in the womb. He created us through him and for him. And only when we walk in surrender to him can we walk into who we really are and with purpose and confidence. Another story that we can reference and glean from and this is why God's word is so vital to our lives, is the story of Moses in Exodus. When God appeared to him in a burning bush, and he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. He says, tell him to release the Israelites from slavery. Moses' first response, his first response was, who am I? And that was a good question, Moses, because I would ask the same one. Especially if you've done some background search on Moses, you'd really have a good understanding on why he wouldn't want to go back there and why he is questioning who he is. But right here, it's God's response is what we really need to be paying attention to. God's answer wasn't about Moses and who Moses is. It wasn't about pumping him up. It wasn't giving him a breakdown of his strengths and his weaknesses, a top of the line motivational speech about manifesting the outcome he hopes to see no, what God does here is he tells Moses who he is. He tells Moses who is going with Moses. See, he does not need to point to Moses. He doesn't he doesn't want to point to Moses, but he points to him, God himself, because if God is going with you, what really what else matters, right? And the problem too, God didn't want to direct his focus onto Moses, because Moses, just like us, would, would sit there with this list. Well, well I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure, and, and, well, Moses, he was a murderer, and, and he had a speech impediment, and, you know, talk about identity issues. He was, you know, adopted by an Egyptian family, and he didn't even know that. He thought he was an Egyptian, and then when he found that out, and, you know, so he's got his own issues. So God didn't point to him, you know, because God didn't want him to focus on himself. He wanted him to focus on him. So he said to Moses, I have he said God didn't want Moses to focus on himself, but he directed the focus to be on him. He said to Moses, I have come down to rescue them. I will be with you, and I am who I am. As we can see here in these two examples, our focus isn't to be on ourselves, but our focus needs to be on our Lord and Savior. He's our source. He needs to be sitting on the throne of our lives, and that is what when what he says about us can take full effect in developing who we are in Christ Jesus. That's when we can walk in his nature and see the fruits of the Spirit manifesting in our lives and lovingly affecting those around us. If we don't question who told you that, you may be subject to lies shaping your identity and your worldview. When culture tells you to look within yourselves, you need to identify that, the lie, the source, and remind yourself what our Creator tells us. Not what the created tells us. He tells us to focus on Him, not ourselves. So, of course, walking this out in a world that is blind to truth, in a world where the devil wants nothing more than to see us separated from God, he does not want us to know what our true identity is, because that's power. He is quite patient even, content to see a sprinkle, a little bit of scripture on our social media pages, maybe even a verse in the bio, a dash of good works over here, and a dab of Christian ease in conversation. Just as long as Jesus isn't directly sitting on the throne of your life, he's okay with that. Heck, he doesn't even need you to think he's on your throne. And since we all can't stop thinking about ourselves and our achievements, our possessions, our relationships, our appearance, our social and academic status, we might as well be on our throne. Just as long as he has easy access to, through our flesh to keep us from experiencing the fullness of Christ and knowing who we really are in him, he keeps us unsatisfied and never feeling like we are enough and looking to every other source to tell us who we are. He tells us things like trust your feelings, trust your, fi- your feelings are truth, they are part of your identity. Let your heart lead you, which sounds good sometimes and comforting, tickles our ears even. But if we know the source, we will also know that he is a liar and his sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. And there is nothing good in him. There is a name for this. For when we step up to our throne and decide that we should rule, it's called adultery. It's when we elevate our feelings and our thinking above our creator as though somehow we believe we could know ourselves better than the one that knit us together in the womb that knows our every thought He knows our every word before we say it. He knows us better than we know ourselves, understands our hearts, and he created us for his purpose. And it's our unbelief of who he says he is. That is what we need to come before our creator and Lord and repent from. And if God is on our throne and we know what his word says, we know that we are not to trust our hearts. That they are wicked and its desire is only for itself. And we are not to trust our feelings. See, when we take the place on our throne in our lives, we're playing God. And even before, even from the beginning, it started. The devil wanted to be like God, apart from God, better than God. Then we see it again in the garden with Adam and Eve, and so on and so forth through all history, man's desire to rule our own worlds. Um, so just, So that is the reason, and that is the reason that we reject him, why we suppress the truth to be king of our lives and to sit on our throne. And whoever is sitting on the throne of our lives is the one who rules, because it's not a throne built for two. And the scripture does tell us that we cannot serve two masters. So who's it going to be? If knowing what he says about you has not made you more like him, there's probably a little disconnect between what he says and who he is to you. You may be sitting here questioning, well, who is sitting on the throne of my life? What source am I listening to, to shape my worldview to establish my identity? Who am I? And it's actually not too hard to evaluate. And some of us will make this external list, and we'll do some comparisons to others. I don't, I don't, I don't get drunk. I don't swear. I don't live, live with my partner. I dress modestly. I don't do drugs. I don't steal. I haven't killed anyone. You know, I, I tithe. I go to church on Sundays. So, so I must have Jesus sitting on my throne, right? And yes, those are good things. Yes, we are called to a higher standard, but it's not our do-and-don't list. It is not to be our focus, because what God is most concerned with and what matters most to him isn't the moral standard in which we strive to live up towards. That's what the Pharisees practiced, right? That was man's way of getting right with God. So, the most important command that's given, that Jesus gives to his followers is in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And equally as important is to love your neighbors. It's our heart that he's after. It's the condition of our heart. You see, if our focus is on him and on loving as he commanded us, that moralist, that entire law, is wrapped up into two commands. And once we understand that, it's pretty easy to self-evaluate. So what is love? So we see in 1 Corinthians that love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. And is that how I'm treating people around me? My co-workers, my employees, my family, my friends, cashier, my children, my teacher. Oh, but they weren't nice to me, and, and you know, they didn't treat me really well there. So, oh, Oh, well, we're not supposed to keep any records of wrong. Well, I deserve that promotion over him, and, and, and he doesn't work near as hard as I do. Well, we're not supposed to boast, and love isn't self-seeking. There are so, they're so frustrating, and they just infuriate me. Well, we're, love is also not easily angered. And that command was not dependent on their behavior. There isn't a loophole here that we need that, here that we need to only show love when they do. Jesus says even the world does that. In Luke 6, 32 to 35, it shows us. Do we have that one? 32 to 35? Yeah. If you you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get the credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, Why should you get that credit? Even sinners will lend to sinners for a full return. Ouch, hit the pocketbook. Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Yikes, that's a tall order. Thank you, Jesus. Another good way to evaluate is what would my peers say? What would my family say? Am I loving? And you can even divide all these two, all these, all these groups into two groups, enemies and neighbors. And both of their responses have equal value. Am I kind? Am I thinking outside myself and trying to empathize? Am I actively trying to reach the lost? Do I justify how I, how I treat people and how they treat me? Do I need to be right? How does that affect my witness? How do we love will tell us who is sitting on the throne of our lives. And do you know why this is so important? Not only because God commanded it, but because that is how others will come to know him. It is our witness. And when he is on our throne, you are able to love, we are able to love like this. You know why? Because we're not the ones on the throne. And we have not elevated our thoughts and feelings above the authority of God. That is when we can walk out who he says we are. Who he says we are directly points back to him. Love is the evidence produced when Jesus is on the throne of our lives. And it is then when what he says about us becomes who we are. When we place him on the throne, our feelings, our human thinking and reasoning steps down. Our fragile ego steps down. Jealousy, anger, lust, and excuses for our behaviors step down. We recognize that we are not bound to them because he who is on the throne tells us so. He tells us that we are free from the bondage of our sins, that we are forgiven. Our mistakes and failures don't define us. He does. This awesome God thing happens when we surrender to the rightful king. His spirit joins with ours. For God is working in you, giving you the desires and the power to do what pleases him. And that's in Philippians 2.13. So he is doing that work for us, in us. Our focus does not to be on us, our inabilities, our abilities, our imperfections, our personality traits, or our flaws, our failures, our strengths. No, they just need to be on Him. Because if that was where our focus is de- because that's where our focus is designed to be, that is where God continually directs the focus to be. Because He designed us to be sinless in the garden, this direct connection, intimate relationship. At the core of man's identity is our creation in God's image. We were made to naturally connect to him and understand life from him. But sin short-circuits this and disconnected us from God. But thank you, Jesus, for restoring that for us at that finished work at the cross. And thank goodness, because I sure couldn't stand here. Even Mark couldn't stand here. Because if I ask my kids... Am I consistently responding to them in love? My husband, if each day he felt honored? If my thoughts were always holy, my actions were always Christ-like? If my past and my present defined who I was, I wouldn't even come close to making the mark. I'd fail miserably. And this is exactly why I have to look to the source of who told me that. I have to remind myself who he says I am. I remind myself that my past does not define me, that my failures are not who I am. And because I am choosing daily to surrender my will to acknowledge Jesus Christ on the throne of my life, and he tells me that I am redeemed, he tells me that I am a new creation, and he tells me that I am loved, and he tells me that I have the mind of Christ, that I was worthy of all his suffering until death, and I am precious, and I have purpose, and I am wonderfully, beautifully made, and I am handpicked by him to love and to be loved. That is why my focus will not be on the unfinished work or the mess in my life, but I will put my focus on that Jesus is working in me and I will trust him to finish the good work that he has started in me. And all of this is found in his scripture. And this is why, last page, promise, we need to be consistently renewing our minds with who he says I am not allowing culture to tell us or our flesh or our shame or our guilt to dictate our truth. When we know the source and that source is sitting on the throne of our lies, we will know what truth and what is lies. And temptations will still pop up. Empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense will tickle our ears. But the difference is now we have established our source of truth and we can line it up to what he says. And we have the power to resist, to stand firm, to not give in to every feeling or desire that tries to entice us, we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6, 6 to 7, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free. See, when we ask Jesus to take the throne, we, we surrender our will, our thinking, that's putting our flesh and our desires, that, that's putting our flesh and our desires, our will for our lives to death. We will nail them to the cross, and it died with Jesus, so we may live in him. That he can be transformed in us into a new creation. That we can be transformed into a new creation, that he has changed our hearts and our desires. And we, he can give us the ability to walk out his calling for our lives, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, really don't need to say too, too much more, but... Uh, I wanted to maybe quickly leave you with where that left me a couple of weeks ago when I heard it and encourage you to take a step with that. Knowing who he is is not just knowing his word, it's about knowing him. And it's kind of a topic that's been repeated in my life. This, this keeps coming up. I was telling... Uh, Um, You know, I think after camp, it's like looking in the mirror and realizing James says, when you look in the mirror, don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Don't just hear something. If you don't do something with it, you you end up just thinking that you're better because you heard it. Um, And yeah, as I left the camp, uh, uh, Barry actually sent me a video this week from a guy named Jonathan Kahn, I think is how you pronounce his last name. It's just called the title, "The, The Person Behind the Veil. And it's just this thought of that Everything in our lives is designed as a as a follower of Christ to be about Him, not about the songs we sang, not about even being here tonight. Uh, none, none of that matters as much as Him. You could do all of that and miss Him. And He says, "You you know you're deceiving yourself." And then I'm reading this book because Beth left. She leaves. She wants me to get into literature and stuff. I'm not really a reader, but she left this little book on my uh, on my um, nightstand called. Um, the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer and I'm reading it and I open the the thing and it's like the t- the chapter is Behind the Veil and I'm like and it's all about him. It doesn't matter if you like possess, you know, if you have things, he says fine, have them, don't let them possess you. He says the, the whole idea is that you would possess him, that you would know him. The whole purpose of our life is to know him and glorify him and and I realized that even myself it's so easy to get distracted by things. Distractions are everywhere. They're just like, oh look, a base Oh, I worked on some of you. Distraction. You know, the, there's, there's bad ones, and then there's good ones. There's just, it's these things that, that get you out of that, that, that lane. And, you know, I was reminded of these old songs, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Sorry, Lord, for whatever I've made this thing. It is all about you. And if it can happen to a pastor, it can happen to anyone. It can happen to a youth pastor. (laughs) You know, I think, like, realizing that Jesus would be, like, the target of my life, still. not, Not great services, not a, you know, a growing church, but that song, Jesus, be the center. Be my source. Be my light. Be my hope. Be my song. I was thinking, you know, be my bullseye. He's what we're aiming for. It's him. Jesus, be my bullseye. It's not a song yet, but Sly, maybe you can write one. You know, and I think about Paul. Paul, a guy who wrote the New Testament, most of it. He'd been planning churches for 10 years, and then he writes this thing to the Philippians, and we'll just, you know, he, he has quite the resume of accomplishments, but in Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, I once thought all those accomplishments were valuable, but he says, I consider them worthless. He says, all those other things are just distractions now because of what Christ has done. He's like, everything else is worthless when I compare with the infinite value of what? Knowing him. I'm like, Paul, you know him. Like, <laughs> how can you be the guy who's like, Hey, you know, I wanna I wanna know him. And he goes on to say it wasn't just this this wasn't just this moment where Paul has this like Billy Graham salvation moment. I said a prayer, accepted Christ in my heart. He's like it wasn't like his come to Jesus moment. It was um, because I think for many in, in North America, that is their Christianity. Oh, I said a prayer once, you know, I gave my heart to Christ, you know, when I was a kid or whatever. He's like, This is the guy who's like, he's like he's he knows Christ well enough to write all these letters. He's like, but you know what? I want to be, become one with him. I want to continue to know him. He writes in the next verse. I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I'm like, man, Paul, you like, you know Christ. Why are you writing? Like, I still want to know him. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to pursue him because that's really what it's all about. I thought about that. I've got a, a, a new friend named Matt, and if you ask me, hey, do you know Matt? I would say, yes, I know Matt, uh, but I would respond with also, but I'm getting to know him better because I don't know him real well. And I've had that thought. If people ask me, do you know Christ? Could I answer in the same way? Yes, I know Christ, but I am getting to know him better. Or have I hit a plateau? Have I hit a spot where it's like, you know, ah, it's, it's okay. We do it all the time. We do it in our marriages. You know, Do you know your spouse? Oh, yeah. Buddy, she's changed since the last time you've, <laughs> you've seen her. Right? Do we still have this thing of, yes, but I'm getting to know her better? And that's what Paul's just his challenge. Well, he's just that call to know the limitless one even more. You know I just think about all of those things he just says i I don't, I don't want to just know the book, I want to experience him and I wonder sometimes if we get together and we talk about the book and we miss the experiencing him i I feel like that sometimes, and I'm like, man, I, I don't want that to be us. She mentioned the Pharisees, that's what they said. you know they knew the book so well, and yet they missed him uh, they, they 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 had the printed words, but they needed the word who became flesh they they memorized scriptures, but they missed the savior and and i I think it's You know, just quickly a recap of all those things. You know, when when the... The messenger that came to Daniel you know Daniel's famous for his lion's den moment but here's a guy whose life was lived for knowing God you, you know the, uh, the, the messenger reminds him in Daniel 11 or tells him says hey there's, there's stuff coming it's going to be terrible there's, these, these, there's going to be these wars and all of these things and he says you know the, the, in verse 31 says this guy's army is going to take over the temple fortress he's going to pollute the sanctuary he's going to put a stop to daily sacrifices he's going to accept the sacrilegious object that causes desecration he's basically everything you do for worship he's going to take it all away And then verse two, he's like, he's going to flatter. He's going to win over those who violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will be the ones who are strong and resist him. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe that's the day we're living in where all that stuff, gets challenged. But it's like, man, it's the people who know their God who are going to who are going to be the ones who stand strong. And, you know, I think about those things. Are we the people who know God? Let's not become the people who do well at church. May we be the people who know God. You know, David knew, knew God in the face of Goliath because he knew him in the fields. He's like, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the I want to know him. So often it's like, oh, we're good to know him with a whole bunch of other people in the crowd, but it's not about the crowd. It's about us as individuals. I, I want to know him. You know, Moses was the only one who put in the effort to climb the mountain to hear God's voice. What did the crowd do? They're like, Moses, we don't, we don't, you go talk to God for us. And Moses, you talk to us for God. I don't want to be that pastor. man. I want to encourage you to say that there's no go-between, between us and God other than Jesus Christ. There's no person, there's no man that you said, oh, I should be hearing from him. Because it's so easy for us to coast on the coattails. I could just talk about Jonathan Kahn's sermon or A.W. Tozer and be like, oh, I could say that. But it doesn't matter for me. Do I, want to, do I want to know him? Moses, you know, loved the presence of God to the point where he said, you know, if your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going where you're not. And I asked myself, am I there yet? Am I in that spot? And I need to be reminded of that, that it would be this thing of no, just knowing him. Moses, as he hung out at the, the temple, Joshua would follow him there, follow him to the place of God's presence. And then Moses would leave and Joshua would stay. He followed him there, but he would stay and he realized that, And, you know, I just think of this challenge that he was like, he's not just the God of Moses. He's going to be the God of Joshua. And he's not just the God of the parents. He's the God of the teens that our teenagers would have a faith of their own. And that's why I'm so grateful for the fact that it's not a youth group that just plays games in the gym, just that heart's desires you would have a faith of your own. There's no grandchildren in the family of God. Did you know that? There's no grandchildren in the family of God. There's only children. You have your own your own connection to him. And that only happens when we're willing to do it in private. Last thought, you know, when you're Group dating, it's fun because it's like, ah, oh, lots of people around, but where do the heart to hearts happen when you're on your own? You know, that's why we're so passionate about people being connected to small groups because in this group today, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I heard that, and, and, and you can go. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, go in secret, go find God in the secret place. You know, that, be in that spot where it's just you and Him. And I wonder if, you know, that's the challenge for us. We just need more of Him. Just that realization, you know, some of these things you get so distracted by, just. Just him. If the service didn't go swimmingly, it doesn't matter. I'm here for him. If they didn't sing my favorite song or I couldn't sing in the key, who cares? I'm here for him. You know, if I leave this place and somebody says something mean or they took my parking spot, it doesn't matter. I'm here for him. To not miss that moment, to not miss that tonight. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, when he sent out the disciples, he's like, hey, go. Well, wait, hold on. Don't go. Wait for me and go with me. Don't go without me. Don't go out there without me. And my hope tonight, too, is just to say, to to finish off what Becky said, that knowing what he says about us matters. And knowing him, that that would just be simply stirred up in us. Just a simple prayer. God, I just want to know you. I just encourage you, as I encourage myself with this, that the next prayer you have is just that simple. Sit down, God. (laughs) I'm not here to ask for stuff. I'm not here to ask. I just want to, to know you. God, I want you to be king on the throne of my life tonight. God, I want your word and your voice to be above, above all the other voices and words that I hear. God, that you would cut through the distractions. That I can simply say that I am who I am because I am says who I am. That it is who he says we are and that we know him. That we know him. Maybe tonight's the first time you say those words. God, I want to know you. Man, look out! Buckle up. (laughs) It will change the rest of your life. Will it make it perfect? Heck, no. But man, does he ever make sense of all the things that went wrong before, and redeem you into the place where you can be? I love what she said. No shame. No shame. Not meant to carry it simply because of who he is. And so I'd encourage you with that. Maybe not. Let's say uh, I I don't just I don't I I just that honest thought to say God. I want to know you, regardless of anything else that happens around me. I want to know you. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for what you've done in Becky's life. Thank you for what you've uh, put on her heart. Thank you for her heart for you and her heart for, the, uh, for young people and just for people. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you that it is the same yesterday, today, forever, that it's, it's convicted lives in the first century and in this century. And in this room tonight the fact that they could know you personally and that we can know you, that Paul could pray those words, God, I want to know you, that we can echo those tonight and that you answer them. So I just pray that over every person here, whether they're 15 or 85, as we just simply recalibrate our lives again to aim for a target of knowing you. May that prayer be answered, I pray. God, I thank you for tonight. (laughs) Thank you for the seed sown in our heart and our life. Thank you that as we go from this place, we can be confident just simply in the fact that you are good and that what you say matters. We hold on to that knowing you hold on to us. I love you. Thank you. In your name, amen. Amen. We uh, have a couple quick questions. We'd love for you to just take home or you know, even to gather around in a group here tonight to chat about, but... Here's a couple of things just to dig a little deeper. What jumped out at you from today's talk? Maybe something Becky shared, maybe something somebody else shared. Um, Which Bible story most connected with you, the things you heard her talk about? Which ones of those were like, ah, you know, like that David part or that Moses part or whatever it may be? And then who or what do you think is on the throne of your life right now if you were honest? Who is on the throne if you're honest? And maybe it's not persons. Maybe it's things like the fear of man trying to people please, my family, my time. What, who, who or what do you think is on the throne of your heart today and why? And then how would you answer the, this question? Do you know Christ? Would it be yes? Would it be no? Or would it be yes? But I'm getting to know him better. And I encourage you to have some conversations about that. And, if you have the chance to pray with one another, do so. Uh, I, you know, even, even in this room sometimes, like, well, can we just pray maybe in the cafe? Make it a habit of if there's somebody has got a prayer request, I love what Gary said. Let's just stop, drop it, let's pray right here, right now. And if, if there's any of you here tonight and want somebody to pray with you, gladly do that. Uh, just come on up to the front here afterwards, and we will do that. And otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a uh, fantastic week, and we'll see you next Saturday.